We need a word for this human Tinder emotion of elation. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your pop culture pal and host, Sammy Yunan, and I hope you're feeling what I'm feeling because there is this feeling of joy. We need a legit word for it. When somebody says to you, I'm looking for a new Netflix show, you got any recommendations? Or they innocently tell you, I just finished a new Stephen King novel. I'm looking for a new book. What are you reading? And there's this amazing moment where you share with the openness and confidence of a dandruff commercial, a TV show, or recommend a podcast or a novel that's so good it defies description. And the person, your friend, somebody you love out of 7 billion people takes you up on that suggestion. They trust you and they read it or watch it or listen to it and they come back and they tell you that indeed it truly was amazing. You just made their lives better like a dating service. You connected them to an amazing TV show or book or comic book. What a rare and incredible gift. That's what I mean when we need a word for that yes emotion because it not only benefits the recipient, but me as a person doing recommending as a curator, I get that runner's high. Plus, more importantly, it benefits the creators of the work. Now, somebody else knows that writer's name or has watched their show. To share the pop culture we enjoy is an act of love and an act of service. It is a holy transaction. And those with open hearts and open minds and open ears will be blessed. Which is why I can testify that my guest, Whitney Matheson, is a wonderful curator. She's one of the best. Because we need a word for that no emotion when a TV show season has concluded. Now what? Or that heavy silence when you get to the end of a satisfying novel. Now what? Whitney is outstanding at answering that now what? She is the cure for life's rich pageant. She recently released Pandemics, a comic book anthology she co-edited, even supplying a short story called Pandemic Boyfriends. How romantic. In this compelling conversation, she and I cover creativity, comics, and candy. Oh, and of course, curation. Here now, this is what two shiny happy people sound like. I'm good. Are you feeling much better? Yes, I'm feeling better. You know, I'm trying to just uh, stay healthy and stay busy. Okay, that's a good philosophy. That should be on a t shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not, yeah, and get some sleep occasionally. Oh, come on now. I thought you were like all rock and roll and going out at the middle of the night and stuff. I know you have a kid, but still, you should be. Uh, well,. I am rock and roll, but there's nowhere to go. I know. I can't. What, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Uh, but yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's it's tough. But uh, you know, could it could always be be worse? Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm same way as you. I'm restless. Like the first like. Uh, March and April or whatever, we're like, okay, this is fine. It's something new. We can even like slow down a little bit. And I think in general, a lot more people were kinder and nicer because <laughs> they were getting the eight hours of sleep and they didn't have to like <laughs> rush to karate practice to pick up the kid or drop the kid off at soccer practice. You know what I mean? Like, I think everyone yeah. kind of got to slow down. And then like uh, by about uh, May, June, I was like, all right, that that's, this is like summer vacation, basically. I was like, all right, I'm done now. Like, I want to go to movies or like go do something now or like road trip or something but um yeah it's like uh, it's it, it really is like a summer vacation with like no end in sight usually you know when the first day of school is so you just you count the days oh, basically yeah. right now it's just like yeah you're going on summer vacation i'm like all right great when's the first day of school well we're not sure i'm like uh okay so you just kind of sit there and you're like oh my gosh yeah it's so it's crazy yeah, you know, I'm making it. I'm working too, which is real. I'm just glad to be working because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who aren't. So yeah, that's know. true too. So yeah, everybody's dealing with it in their own in their own way. But I I welcome 
a distraction. I need. I desperately need a distraction. I think. All right, so we'll get the distraction uh, rolling. And I actually want to start off with something a little awkward. And then uh, we will kind of, I just want to bring it up briefly. And then we're going to move on to like all your stuff. But about a, a week ago or so, I'm losing track of time. I was visiting some friends and they have a toddler, a small child, and she was painting. And uh, as she was painting, she she knocked over some of the paint. Uh, I mentioned she's a toddler. So she, she got some of it on her elbow. And she just kind of kept going and she didn't realize she could paint with her elbow, basically. And so she started mashing yeah. it down. <laughs> and I was like, you know, because you're supposed to like encourage children. So I gave her a thumbs up. And then like the next day or the day after, you posted a on Instagram a, a boob painting, like an actual painting that you made with your with your boobs. So I was like, I guess yep. <laughs> nobody uses a paintbrush anymore now to like... <laughs> make stuff is this the new trend now or like there's a reason why i'm bringing this up because i know it's super awkward but but can you just explain the boo painting just a little bit oh yeah that was and, and first of all that's not something that i would ever normally do or if i would do it i would never share that but yes. what happened you know i'm not like that much of an exhibitionist at all but um yeah, so there was this artist that I loved. Her name was Bridget Berlin. She was one of she was one of the last living Warhol superstars. There aren't too many of them still around. Mm-hmm. And she died, I guess, two weeks ago now, because that was last week when I posted those paintings. But yeah, she was known for she was really close with Andy Warhol. She was in several of his films. She was uh, she lived at the Chelsea Hotel for a while. She's in the movie Chelsea Girls. But also she was a great artist in her own right and often overlooked, I think. And and one thing that she did is she made these uh, prints of her breasts that were pretty beautiful, at, but at the same time, you know, like badass. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so anyway, I, I just thought I was so bummed when I, and there's a fantastic documentary about Bridget called Pie in the Sky. Uh, that tells you a little bit more about her. But I was so bummed out when I heard that that she had passed away. And I thought, well, how can I pay tribute to her? <laughs> and that was what I came up with. I was like, you know, only for this artist. Like, only, this is the only time when I would do something like that. But yeah, um, so one day I got my kids washable paint. <laughs> and uh, I did it. I made I made some prints and I gotta say it took me a little bit but what came out I'm I'm quite pleased with what what came out and you know also during this time I really have tried to do at least one creative thing if not more mm-hmm. every day I, I don't know how I would make it if I didn't if I was just doing all this stupid minutia and routine stuff and without doing any creative work, I would go crazy. And so that was another reason I did it. Yeah, well, that's the reason why I brought it up. Because um, well, partly it was just funny because, like I said, like the toddler was like mashing with the elbow and then you're using like, nobody's using a brush anymore is basically, which I found funny. But as part of your online presence, uh, you have been kind of encouraging people to make stuff, uh, to put googly eyes on lamps and to record silence. Uh, take boring photos yes. is another one. Like, how are you describing it? Like, is it a folk art? You mentioned Andy Warhol. Like, do you see it as like a pop art kind of thing, or like, or do you just call it play and creativity, as you were just saying? You're kind of like a Bob Ross without an afro, basically. <laughs> I like that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, mainly, yes. I want to encourage other people to be creating things and just get across the point that it doesn't have to take you like most of those things I post, it doesn't have to take you a long time. Like some of those things will are only like two minutes. You can do it. You can like draw a quick drawing with your other hand or, you know, like you can do all sorts of stuff. So I want to encourage other people, but, but I do think that more than anything that I just did it for myself as a something to force myself into making stuff and putting it out there and uh that that's part of it for me you know like i can write and and i do i can write in journals and stuff them under my bed but it's <laughs> it's kind of point like the whole meaning of making something i think is, is sharing it with other people so yeah i mean some of those things i posted i do 
I do for myself all the time. I have a ton of dumb drawings and whatever, but but ultimately it's important to like share stuff. And also, I'm just tired of looking at people's like bread that they're baking and their you know <laughs> selfies and all that. So there's so much more interesting things you can do with social media than just taking silly pictures of yourself, which I do too. But you know, mm-hmm. you do it for make do it to show something you're making. This is what I find fascinating because your work lately has uh, it flows in three streams, right? We touched upon the creativity with like these cool um, little art projects. Uh, so it's creativity, comics, and curation. Those seem to be the two or the three areas where you're kind of working in lately. Um, we can switch gears yeah. now and talk about comics because you make these really cool, I guess, American Splendor type biography comics. Like you'll have like a relationship with your daughter. Uh, you wrote a little bit about how your anxiety and your journey over the last few years. Yeah. I guess to quote Seinfeld, like what's the deal with your comics? <laughs> well, yes. Um, I, and I should say like the way I am not, I do not draw. I have zero clearly formal drawing, you know, instruction or, but all my drawings are very simple, but I love, comics I, I as you know i've written a lot about comics mm-hmm. i also maybe a year ago started i live in brooklyn i i needed a workspace and i started working in a studio in brooklyn with about a dozen other cartoonists and so that was very that was pretty influential on me as well because i was around even though i was i'm a writer and i was going in and writing things i was going to a space where everybody was making comics and so, um, yeah, I guess I just eventually, after being surrounded by it for so much, I, I decided to do some of it myself and, and liked it. It's just a different way of expression for me. And sometimes it's easier to express certain things, you know, in that way than just to write thousand words about it. But um, yeah, I love I love comics, and I've discovered that sometimes I like to to make them. And yeah, now I have this and this project that just came out was really cool too because I was able to not only contribute to this anthology of comics, but kind of you know help usher in this this project where where a bunch of great great artists were making new things. Yeah, you're talking about uh, pandemics, uh, quarantine comics, and yes. the age of Rona. Uh, you contributed uh, my pandemic boyfriends <laughs> to it to the project. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but it's good because, like that example again, like it kind of underscores that this isn't just a um, like a fearful reaction to the virus or anything like this. It's like different kind of. It's an anthology, so there's different perspective and different experiences, all kind of uh, written about in the in the in the graphic novel. So, can you kind of explain a little bit or who some of the creators are for the book? Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's um it's fifty six pages. I think we have fifteen comics by nineteen different artists and writers, and we just um my, I say we I mean uh, Dean Hasfiel, who's one of my favorite cartoonists and and writers, and um he kind of curated and this project, and we co-edited it together. But, um, yeah, it's all of the comics were created during this crazy time mm-hmm. so since you know during a court the time of quarantine, um and several of them we work with in the same studio, but it's, it's a pretty diverse mix of of people and um and a lot of them also you know have lost work during this, as many people in you know every field have lost work but um I love it because everybody does have a very specific voice and a very unique style. It's mostly very personal work, intensely personal work, and it's a snapshot of a time. I mean, you know, we couldn't have done this same project at any other time. If we did it a year from now, people's perspectives are all going to be different. So it's some of it's very raw. Um, but then, like, just to call out a few of the comics, Josh Neufeld, who's Another one of my favorite, he's he's a comics journalist and he does a great piece just about what it's like to, what it was, he interviews someone and what it was like to kind of work with the hospitals at this time. And then you have 
Marguerite Devine, who does like a, a great comic just about her experience and how, you know, she got sick during all this and, uh, God, like Ellen Lindner is in it. And it's honestly, when I say the names, I can't believe it because these are people I have written about and whose work I have really liked for so long. And so to be like involved in a project with all of them is, and to have like a, anything like in the same anthology with them is it's kind of mind blowing. And the proceeds, it goes to a really cool organization, the Hero Initiative. Yeah, so it's a charity project, and we decided that we would like for the money, and it's only $5, like it's, you know, it's five bucks, it's a digital anthology, and you get it on Patreon, so it's at patreon.com slash pandemics, with an X at the end. And yeah, it's a charity thing that goes to the Hero Initiative, which is an organization that provides essential money for like essential medical aid or cartoonists and creators who may be, you know, having some really tough times. A lot of them may be older, you know, not working anymore and they Mm -hmm. may need help for, you know, a medical treatment or essential financial help. So yeah, go to a great, great cause. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm happy that people can, can see it. There's nothing else really like like this out there. Yeah, because you mentioned like this period of time is unusual. And when you're creative and these weird things happen, um, you don't quite know how to work or what to do. Like I was thinking like when this project was announced that like it reminded me of um, 9-11 when 9-11 was happening, not just the day, but like into September and October. I was thinking like, oh, man, like I know putting insensitivity aside for a moment, but I was just thinking that, oh, man, like this is going to produce a great Bruce Springsteen album, <laughs> you know, like cause you know yeah. that this moment yeah. is like it's significant and it's like people like Bruce uh, Springsteen were going to respond to it. And sure enough, you put out The Rising and it was a good album. And we've seen like how like Phil Collins, for example, has like when he's gone through divorces, those are horrible experiences, but they produce great albums. And it's that classic thing of like, do you have to be sad to write a sad song? Yeah. And, you know, in the introduction to this, uh, Dean writes about how right after 9-11, a publisher approached him about making making something making a comic that somehow deals with. 9-11 and he, he writes you know he thought he was crazy but now looking back he's so glad he did it it absolutely captures like the feeling he had in the moment in time and I think that's what we were trying to do with this and understandably there were some artists we approached who just I mean not every like everybody's dealing with this in their own way and there were some artists who just were, aren't able to make work right now, or, you know, they have, they were still kind of processing what was going on. And so, you know, I, I mean, me, I, the only way, like I said, the only way I've been able to get through this is by making things and writing things. And I have produced more, I would say in the last, you know, four months than I have in the last couple of years, just in terms of the a volume of writing and, and stuff I'm making. Um, and that's not true. And other people like just kind of need to, to mm. take a moment away from it and all you know it's all fine it is all everybody's processing it differently uh, there's a legitimate anger i guess that's the word to use a legitimate anger um from creatives that we really haven't fully acknowledged because and again i know like this is kind of ins- it sounds insensitive when i say it out loud but a lot of creatives had momentum going into uh march and april and may uh there was movies coming out and books and albums and plays all kinds of like south by southwest there was all kinds of things that were happening uh that people were gearing up to do and then it all just kind of got disrupted or canceled or pushed back for a year like all kinds of things like that and so in a weird way like yeah you you can do a lot of creative stuff now because you have this like uh, period where, like you said, everything kind of shut down. There's nowhere to go. But at the same time, too, there is a lot of anger from creatives as they're kind of grappling and dealing with this kind of unprecedented, unprecedented situation. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I had written a play, and I had a reading of it earlier this year, and I was excited. Like, you know, I was excited about the prospect of like. <laughs> doing more like casting this play and moving forward with my first play. And now it's like, there are no plays for the foreseeable future. It's like theater is gone. And so, yeah, I mean, I was one of 
many, many people. It's just, it was very upset. And now I'm just trying to move forward and think, all right, well, maybe this is an opportunity to try something different, create things in different formats. Um, and we've certainly seen that with musicians a lot who've been able, you know, musicians who thrive particularly on touring and now are a lot of them are just trying to think creatively and doing like, you know, Zoom shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's really tough. But on the plus side, like it has forced a lot of people to just try to experiment with what they're what they're doing and, um, you know, how to, how to make things things work. Was Pandemics and your own comics, were these kind of partly inspired by writing the book We Made Comics, which was a digital kids book? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's just another part of like my enthusiasm for for comics. So in, I guess that came out in, time is so weird now, but that came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. I wrote it's um, not that old. <laughs> a book. It's not that old. No. Yeah, for uh it's called the the book you can find on Epic, which is essentially the Netflix of kids' books. A lot of parents know Epic because it's free in libraries and schools nationwide. And during the pandemic, it's been free. Like, you know, my daughter's been able to access it. Most kids can access it. Um, it's a website that has, and they have deals with most major publishers. You can go on and your kids can read tons and tons of books. So, yeah, I did this book called We Make Comics for Them, and it's, I talked to lots of comic creators, people who, who make comics for children, and it's a, hopefully like a helpful kind of how-to guide. That, and it's so funny because a lot of it's been pretty popular for them. So that was just another way, for, I think, for me to, to write about comics and hopefully encourage people, younger people, to, to do it for themselves. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I've always... I, I mean, I think like... Because you, you know me since, like, Pop Candy and all that. Like, mm-hmm. my biggest passion, I think, is just trying to spotlight artists who need that help, who need, you know, not necessarily mainstream artists who are fine. I don't need any sort of encouragement, but spotlight artists who, who are deserving of more attention while at the same time encouraging people to make their own stuff. Yeah, it's it's curation, basically, is what you're talking about, right? Because, like, like, when Avengers or something that comes out, I enjoy the Avengers movies, but they don't need any help. Like, it doesn't really matter if you review them. It doesn't matter if you tweet out the trailer. The Avengers movies will be fine, and they will make billions of dollars, and everyone will go home happy. Uh, but it's those indie yeah. f- uh, indie films and comics that you're talking about, um, all these smaller projects that kind of fall through the cracks. There's a ton of stuff on Netflix. And yeah, everyone's all excited to watch Stranger Things and that's fun and things like that. But there's so much other stuff out there and you need somebody who's like a lighthouse just kind of pointing them out. And I mean, that's what you were saying with like Pop Candy. Um, I guess we can switch to that now. Uh, because we've covered creativity in comics, so we can start with uh, cur- <laughs> curation and candy. Uh, so just for anyone who doesn't know, like, what was uh, pop candy? I I sadly have to use past tense. <laughs> yeah, it's past tense. It's all right. But, uh, yeah, so pop candy was the blog that I created and wrote for 15 years at USA Today. It was one of the first, if not the first, um, blogs on a major news website. Um, I covered pop culture, but uh, my aesthetic is pretty, um, yeah, it's a little bit stuff that other people might overlook. It's a little bit indie. It's a little bit um, retro. It's not necessarily mainstream entertainment. So, yeah, that's what I I did. And I was there from 99 to 2014. Which is a lifetime in, in that kind of medium. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty long, I mean, that's a good run. So mm-hmm. I cannot, you know, I cannot complain. Mm-hmm. It's It's been a few years now since it got shut down. When you look back at it, do you know why it was successful? Like you had meetups in a number of cities. You had fans and readerships. Um, there was a lot of people and a lot of co- cool creators as well who were like actively reading your stuff, submitting stuff. Like, do you have any idea? You mentioned your aesthetic. Is that why you feel it was so successful and connected? Um, well, I think maybe a few reasons. I mean, for one thing, I was 
fortunate to be on a pretty large platform. And I think that I, I wrote about things. I offered maybe, um, I wrote about things and I, I and that not, not a lot of other people were, and I did write everything with my voice. So I think like those things are attractive. Also, my philosophy has always been to be positive about everything to not like, I don't like to waste my time shooting down something that I don't like when I could be praising something or, you know, recommending something that, I love. And so I I think, you know, I mean, 15 years is a long time, but, but that did coincide with a lot of, you know, other websites that kind of didn't go in that direction that may have been, did very well, but may have like focused on kind of snarkiness and negativity and um, going after kind of the same big mainstream easy targets. And that's just not, that wasn't my philosophy. And so, and, and I think as a result of that, I, I hope, I, I definitely, I, I love, not only did I love what I did and what I wrote about, I loved the people who found it and supported it. And I found that by large, like most of them were very positive people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if that, if you put that out there, you're going to get it back. And so... Yeah, I think part of it, maybe the content, maybe the the voice, maybe whatever, the frequencies I wrote like 10 times a day. But but also, I really do think like that tone is, it, it works for me, for sure. And I can't imagine, I mean, I sure, I can write, it's fun to go negative sometimes, I guess, but I, I prefer the other way. But you also, um, I don't know how to phrase it, I guess you hide in plain sight you also don't reveal a lot. Like you have a secret identity or something. <laughs> like there isn't a lot of biography either. <clears throat> like when you read your newsletters lately, <laughs> am I accurate? Or like, you know what I mean? You kind of operate in the shadows like Batman. You get the job done and you're really cool about it. But then you're just kind of like gone in the middle of the night before I finish my sentence, like Commissioner Gordon or something. You know what I mean? Like that's how I feel. Is that oh. is that accurate or how would you describe it? Oh, wait, what do you mean? You mean like I... I'm not totally, well, no, tell, tell me more. You mean like I'm, I don't talk too much about myself or. Yeah. Like you kind of, you, you're really excited about like, uh, some REM box set or this film that's coming out or some comic book or something like this. And, and you clearly are passionate about it, but it's like the, especially now with your newsletter now, uh, cause obviously you haven't done pop candy for a little while, but with your newsletter, it's like the the thing that you're recommending is far more important than you are, if that makes sense. And so you don't always get a lot of like biography yeah. or like who you are in a sense. Like so your voice is used to kind of uh, put the emphasis on the the thing that you're recommending and the thing that you're suggesting rather than who you are. Yeah. Although, you know, my photos in there every week and stuff. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, well, one thing that I have kept since the beginning, which, and this is not what anybody does now, but since the beginning of my career, like late nineties, there are certain things about my life that I do keep private. And I don't, you know, totally, like I don't put my daughter's photo on the internet. I don't really talk about my personal, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I, I definitely think that it is healthier to keep, to, to not share everything. For my sanity anyway. But at the same time, like, I think it's important to be very honest. So there, you know, I'm very honest about my life and I'll talk about whatever, but yeah, I, I, it's not totally about me. But then I believe that when it comes to entertainment and culture as well is I am always way more interested about the work than I am about the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the thing that's the important thing is the work like focus on the work I, I hate gossip stuff I don't care who's dating whom or like any of that stuff I really just care about the work so yeah I mean I guess I do that in my writing as well Is like I remember <laughs> you know I think I have a pretty distinct voice like I write you know I write in a personal way but I still want to be useful you know like mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on the work it makes sense because like 
for example, Prince and Bowie are gone, so we're relatively not going to get new albums. I'm sure they'll discover some stuff along the way. I know Prince had a vault, but for the most part, they're gone. So oh, yeah. you just get like whatever you have is what you have. That's it. Like so, regardless of whether like Prince was a terrible husband or all these other things, whatever, those are issues that his family and things have to work out. For the rest of us. We just get the albums, and that's it. Like that's all you have left now. Like all you get left is the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I'm. That's for sure. What I'm the most interested in. I mean, sometimes, like you know, if you're looking at the work, like it does, it is. It, it's informative to know know something about a person, but um, but yeah, I'm not really a a gossipy kind of kind of person at all. Yeah, that makes sense. So then how are you avoiding the sweatshop burnout then, right? Like Pop Candy, you mentioned, I think it was, you had to update it like several times a day. Was it, I think you just said 10. Um, now as a freelancer, you're kind of having to feed the internet uh, between newsletters and comics. Um, don't you ever like get burnt out or just trying to always like shovel coal into the fire basically? <laughs> oh, well, now, yeah. I mean, well, now it's crazy because of circumstances, no child care, like all that stuff. It is crazy, but I, I'm not as burnout as I was when I was doing a blog at all, because that, that was ultimate burnout. And at some point, you know, if there, if there hadn't been mass layoffs and changes, um, I don't honestly, no, I, I don't think I could have stayed in that industry because it does wear you out and it um and especially if you are a mother I think my daughter was like maybe a year old I guess when I lost my job but um yeah that that was extremely exhausting but now I'm just exhausted in a different sort of way I, and you know all the newsletters and the comics and you know certainly like none of us who worked on the pande- pandemics but comics anthology made any money you know it's a charity project we're not doing it for any money all that stuff is is not how I make my money I should be clear like I am a freelancer and so most of the work that the paid work that I have that I do work on all the time and hustle for and whatever most people aren't aware of that because it's it's not a lot of it isn't bylined work. It may be consulting. I, I consult for a number of uh, organizations and, uh, you know, networks and creators and things. And so, of course, I'm not talking about that. I have a lot of my paid work is like involved, you know, um, some, it's not stuff that I can really talk about, if, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so all, all of the other stuff, the newsletters and all, all that, that's, that's for my own sanity, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Coming out of a traditional media like the U- like USA Today, can you compare these modern platforms? Like you, we mentioned the newsletter, you use Mailchimp for that, uh, Patreon. Like uh, you have your phone number, people can call you. When you were mm-hmm. like the journalist in residence at uh, Middle Tennessee State University, like how did you kind of balance like that traditional media and like the journalistic requirements? I guess, for lack of a better term, versus like this newfangled technology. Oh, well, um, even when I was at USA Today, I was trying different things. When I, um, so yeah, after, after I left USA Today, just to quick, which you mentioned. So I, I was in New York. I moved away from New York, moved to Tennessee, which is, I, I love Tennessee. Um, and yeah, I was the journalist in residence at, at a university, which is outside of Nashville. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was a big transition for me because I taught and I've never, you know, I had never really taught before. It was, that was a completely different gig. And I loved it because of that, because it was, you know, the pay, everything about it was so different from what I was, was used to, you know, I was still writing and freelancing, but I was teaching on top of it. So I don't know. I'm not sure what exactly your question was, but oh no, <laughs> but that's, that, but, let, but tell me. Because, yeah, that's fair because uh, there's a lot there. But I was like, 
you're one of the few people who work for USA Today. You work for traditional media, and now you've you've left yeah. that, and now you're using like the new stuff, the shiny toys, right? So Mailchimp for your newsletter, Patreon, and I just wanted to know like how you view or how do you view the experience between those two? Because obviously there's a journalistic standard uh, when you write for USA Today or New York Times or other outlets like that, versus now with like you were saying before, yeah. you could do snark and you can do other things like that. Um, you have a lot more freedom uh, with these other outlets and other platforms. So I just wanted to kind of see what your experience yeah. was like between the two uh, platforms. Because you're one of the few people that can speak on them, right? Because, like, you know what I mean? You were working in USA Today, you yeah. said, like, before 2000, right? So just as the internet was kind of, like, yeah. taken off and, uh, like, I don't know what this, like, you know, what this new thing is. And newspapers didn't know how to react to uh, online media. Right. Yeah. I mean... And I still do, um, you know, I still freelance for several publications and, and work in, I work in so many worlds, so, so many worlds. I work in, you know, that world. I work in the corporate world sometime. I work in like uh, streaming media. So yeah, I do have like a toe in kind of everything in terms of um, just like, you know, MailChimp and, and Patreon and all that stuff. I mean, I, I do love those things because of the independence because, you know, I don't really have to, to answer to anybody when I do that sort of thing. And so that also gives me just, I mean, I, I was lucky at USA Today. I had a pretty, I was able to experiment in a, in a great way. I was there at a very good time when I could do that. But yeah, that's one thing I love about, you know, all the other, like the Patreon and all, like, I mean, I can, I, I, I don't have to answer to anybody at all, really. Like I could, <laughs> I could put up like a 5,000 word short story <laughs> that nobody's asking for, but, <laughs> but I could do it, you know, and I can put up comics and I, yeah, I mean that the independence is great. Of course, you've got to work. Most of us, if you're, if you want that sort of independence, you've got to work like 20 times as hard as if you are like, you know, on staff mm-hmm. at a, a company, but yeah, I, I like, I have a balance of it right now, and, and I like that. Because I also love working, collaborating, and working with other people and learning from editors and that too. Is that freedom and the independence you're talking about, is that what also partly prompted the uh, B. Arthur comic book? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was just like, I love B. Arthur, and I was just starting to feel a little more confident in my ability to make, you know, independent comics, I guess. So, yeah, I, why not? Um, why not? Do you like B. Arthur more than Betty White? I do, I think. I mean, yeah, I, well, yeah, I, my my love is true for, for all the Golden Girls, but, I mean, B. Arthur, you can't get better than B. Arthur, I don't think. Okay. <laughs> Because, I mean, I don't know where else we can go from there. That's a pretty positive. <laughs> that's the positivity that you're talking about. I mean, like, shout out to B. Arthur. So, yeah, the the comic book uh, anthology is Pandemics, Quarantine Comics in the Age of Rona. And uh, where can people find you online to uh, talk about B. Arthur or find out more information uh, about Pandemics? Well, people should go to Patreon, I think. Uh, at Patreon, I have my own account, patreon.com slash Whitney Matheson, and you can get links to my sign up to my newsletter and see comics and all that stuff. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at the Whitney Matheson, where I post a lot of stuff. And then Pandemics, which is spelled P-A-N-D-E-M-I-X, that you can go to patreon.com slash Pandemics. And for five bucks, you can get this 56 page anthology all right there it is don't people yell at you all the time to like write a book either like a novel or nonfiction? <laughs> uh i wish more people would uh well we know people would love to read it i i wish more uh you know uh people in publishing would come come to me but yes no i i um yes yes i have i have some things that I'm working on, it, yeah, yeah. What would you like to see? Okay, if I did a book, what do you want? Yeah, I'd like two books if it's possible. I'd like to like a no- a novel, 
because you have this weird, mm-hmm. lovely mishmash of like. 80s stuff and like kind of REM and uh, Andy Warhol and there's just got to be some like a high fidelity kind of story something like that uh, set mm-hmm. in a record shop or weird quirky characters and you're also in Brooklyn New York so you have a lot of characters so some sort of novel uh, kind of mashing up all your interests uh, with that and then a nonfiction uh, book just I don't know either like similar to what you're doing with like the comic book with B. Arthur or um, I don't know whatever else you'd feel comfortable like writing about. There's a lot of books on essays, for example, um, uh, a lot of essay yeah. collections. I think that would be uh, really good. You did that one book. Um, you contributed a chapter for Moving Forward. Um, I think it was with oh, yeah. movie, Moby <laughs> and Shirley Manson. I can't remember who else was in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blaine Wilson. There are a lot of cool people in that book. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. And yes, I there I've had thoughts I I have some some irons in the fire, so maybe. And and just for Sammy, just for you, I'll I'll write two books. I'll have them done uh, in the next six months. I'll send them to you. Oh, I, I was gonna give them to you. I was gonna give you eight months, but if you want to do it in six, I'm like, oh, oh. okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We go way back, so I, I can yeah. give you a couple extra months uh, to like work on it. <laughs> but yeah, no, that'd be perfect. I mean, like. It's actually been really interesting with the with the pandemic shutdown because as frustrating as it is to like I want to go to the movies and like you said plays and things are like on hold for next little while you can kind of catch up on a lot of stuff. Uh and I've been revisiting things as well. Um I mentioned like uh your pandemic's uh co-editor and co-creator uh, Dean Haspel. Um he Dean worked yeah, yeah. He worked on um, Bored to Death uh which was a show on HBO like many many years ago. I think almost 10 years ago now. Um, and I just kind of revisited yeah. that and it's still like super sarcastic and super funny. And so like, yeah, it's kind of like that is one silver lining where you kind of slow down a little bit and you kind of go back and revisit some of the things like that. Yes. The Emmy winning Dean Hatfield for his work on Bored to Death. We did the arts for that show and that show is fantastic. Uh, and yeah, you should read. I don't know if you've read his stuff, but he does like a. A comic that's free online. Uh, mm-hmm. He has a Brooklyn superhero called The Red Hook. He's done. I mean, he's done a million things. He's, but um, yeah, he's he's great. And I, I still, when I talk about this, I, I kind of, I, I, it blows me away because you know I've been writing about Dean's work and and a lot of the people in this anthology for so many years. So it, it just, I'm I'm like so happy about this project and. I'm just. I'm also just happy to be making stuff right now. Dean's work, his career kind of mirrors yours. It's all over the place. It's not like a traditional like he just worked for Marvel or DC and then kind of called it a day. Like he's worked in like film, yeah. television, like um, independent stuff. He's worked. He's done some Marvel stuff. I think some Spider-Man things like that. Um, I think he's even worked on American Splendor. I mentioned that a little while ago. Um, or contributed some stuff. Absolutely. So he's yes, had he's yes. had a, a weird career. Like it's not a traditional. I'm a comic book guy. Uh, what you think of when you say comic book guy? Oh yeah, he's fantastic career and yeah, an amazing person. Also, a playwright who was going to have a play open, I think March 19th in New York, and and uh, you know then everything shut down. So. Also, very affected, like I, you know, so many artists just affected by all this. But, uh, but to his credit, just you know, then turned around and came up with the idea for this anthology, and and just and keeps working, keeps moving. All right, and we'll let you keep moving. Uh, so we covered a lot. We covered uh, you like B. Arthur more than Betty White. I think that's going to be controversial. Uh, when that hits the uh, I love Betty White. Why I I also love I mean, who can say a negative word? Like I don't want to rank I'm not gonna rank the Golden Girls, but there's something magical about the Arthur. I was also a fan of Maud, which is I I oh God. I whatever. Yes, yes. No hate though on Betty White. <laughs> She's also amazing. All right. And still around, but I don't want this to get back to her. Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, she might actually listen to this. I don't know what podcast she listens to. Uh, she Nobody really kind of talks <laughs> to her about that stuff. So you never know. You put something on the internet, as you know, and it just goes. Uh, and we kind of, we've talked about some of your work as well in terms of uh, putting, like, uh, making boring photos and all kinds of, like, creative work, uh, which you hashtag with, hey, I made this. 
So yeah, yes. Hey, I made this. That's my hashtag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we covered quite a bit. We covered BR there. We covered comics. Hey, I made this. And um, yeah, I think we did. Good. We did a good job, didn't we? And you got two books coming out apparently now, right? Within six months, you said. Yeah, yeah. Just, just for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I do have like a book coming out. Gosh, I don't know when it's coming out, but I, I did. I, I do have a, bo- a children's book that I wrote that's coming out in a few months about the Loch Ness monster. Ooh. And I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have other projects that I'm forgetting because. There's so many things that, mm-hmm. that there's one. There's one for you. Yeah. Ashley, <laughs> before you go, can I ask you one more question? Go for it. Like, you've now written, uh, this will be your second, the Loch Ness Monster book will be your second uh, children's book uh, after uh, How to Make Comics. Like, has having a child altered your relationship with pop culture? Oh, for sure. I mean, well, it just opened up, like, because uh, a world of things that I wasn't aware of in terms of everything books and tv shows and um you know uh it's also fun to when you have a kid to revisit the stuff that you liked when you were younger um but sometimes disappointing when she's not <laughs> as into it as i was but certain things like you know we're both like she's a Wee herman fan like me like it's fun to like introduce her to stuff like that um, and the Babysitter's Club is like the probably the most recent one because she loved those books and we watched the show and yeah so it's it's definitely and oh my gosh like now she because you know she's had like online school and all this stuff so she now that she's discovered Google and like she she looked me up and <laughs> you know she was. I, I'm now I'm right. I'm like, oh my god! I hope there's nothing that she can find that's <laughs> controversial or going to bring up any questions. Because she, yeah, the day she figured out like how to, she googled me. She was like, oh my god, mom's on Wikipedia. I was <laughs> yes. like, oh god, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it says there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's uh, impressed that you made it to Wikipedia. She did find that impressive. And of course you can't, I had nothing to do with that entry, but whoever made it, it's like the worst photo of me of all time on that Wikipedia page. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting, but I mean, you know, yeah, it's fun. It's like just rediscovering and like finding more stuff. Of course, like a lot of stuff made for children is total crap. So mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's, a mix, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you were saying, you you you're giving her stuff that you grew up with. Now there is a whole cottage industry. Like we grew up with, like maybe Mister Rogers, Sesame Street. There was a handful of things kind of floating around. We just kind of jumped into the adult uh, swimming pool, basically, right? We just started watching Star Wars and things like that. Um, your kid has like podcasts that they're specifically aimed for kids. There's a whole much more range of like children's books for different ages now. Uh, we just kind of had like like Dr. Zeus and then like Judy Bloom. There wasn't really a whole lot in the middle there uh, between those. So it's kind of interesting to see how um, how what she'll end up like kind of enjoying and rejecting and uh, kind of going back and forth between the stuff you like and the stuff she's discovering. Oh, totally. But also she is very anti, she doesn't like characters or like, so she is very anti Star Wars. She's very... And certain, I'm trying to think of, there are a bunch of things that I like that she has zero interest in. And um, I'm cool with that because, yeah, I'm not going to push, even if she, whatever, I'm not going to, some parents definitely push certain things, pop culture or whatever, like onto their kids. And I, you know, the fun is discovery. So Mm -hmm. I am, I'm totally fine with her love of, Taylor Swift and you know like certain things yeah I I don't expect her and I would be disappointed if all the things she loved were things that I love too you know didn't you do recently tweet out or not recently but I, I remember I thought I saw a tweet that said that uh, your daughter was cranking uh, Blondie she loves Blondie she loves right now it's Prince oh. whatever I played her um, and I'm so proud thank god um 
What did we, I think I played her when Doves Cry. No, it was Little Red Corvette. I played her as Little Red Corvette. And for whatever reason, that clicked something in her. Mm-hmm. And so she became obsessed with, like, she's currently obsessed with Prince. And, um, good job, mom. Which is good. And it's good, but also it's like, <laughs> you know, on YouTube, like she, you know, she was watching Prince videos. I was like, oh God, like, oh, this yeah, is yeah. going to take me down. Like, <laughs> I am mom of the year. But, uh, yeah, she, but whatever. She came to me the other day and she was like, I think she had watched the video for Cream or something, like a Prince video. And she was like, Mom, all the girls in these videos were bathing suits so they can dance better. And I'm like, Yeah, that's totally why they're wearing bathing suits. <laughs> Oh, man. She must be impressed with Prince as well. He's got a longer Wikipedia entry than you. Oh, I don't even know if she searched Prince on Wikipedia. Yeah. But yes, there have been, she made, she's like making a little Prince doll, and it's adorable. It's great. Okay. <laughs> well, so yeah, as I said, the uh, Pandemics uh, comic is out now, and uh, it goes uh, to the uh, Hero Initiative. So it goes to support a good cause. And then hopefully you continue to kind of keep making uh, comics, including the B. Arthur comic, and just kind of uh, your folk pop art. Uh, as we said, you're like a Bob Ross without an afro. So that could probably go on your business card. Uh, <laughs> well, well, thank you. And thank you for, for talking today. This mm-hmm. has been been very nice. Mm-hmm. What a dope lady. Though I'm not as good as Whitney, I'm often sharing and passing along comic books and music and books. There's so much goodness out there. Somebody somewhere is doing something fresh. Today, today, somebody is on page one of a project that will be incredible and I cannot wait. I share what I find on Twitter, Facebook, and IG, all at my pal Sammy. And because all the cool kids are doing it, nobody wants to be Richie Cunningham, even though he did star in a popular TV show. I have my own Substack newsletter called My Pal Sammy. Same thing as the Twitter, Facebook, and IG, all my pal Sammy. Sign up for that because why not? Do you need more email in your life? No, you do not. You need more suggestions and sarcasm and seriously serious pop culture recommendations in your life? We all do. My pal Sammy at Substack. Thank you so much for listening to me in the Netflix world. Comic book anthologies, yo.